Well, we've been looking at Elijah over the last several uh, Sundays in, in this series, and you know we see him as a man of power, right? A man of miracles. He did very, you know, many mighty things for God, but he also stands before the Lord of the whole earth. He's one of the two witnesses, right? And so he does mighty things, and he's in a glorious place for all eternity. But you know, one of the things that that the Lord really focuses on and brings out in scripture about him is that he's also a man of prayer and his prayer affected the nations and not just that, but the natural environment, right? He prayed and it didn't rain upon the earth and Israel probably turned into a desert and it was because of the prayers of this man. And so, you know, his prayer had a mighty effect. And of course we see in scripture that, that Elijah is associated with the last days and that he plays a part in the last days in that sense, right? He's, he visited the Lord on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he's also going to come in that sense again before he comes the, the second time before the Lord comes again. And so, you know, a lot of going to take place in the events of the second coming. You know, we can read about those events that there's going to be famines and pestilences. And I just think about pestilences, that's disease, like, like crops being blighted. You know, kind of like in Florida, we're dealing with a, a citrus blight on the trees, and they're killing the citrus trees. Um, but imagine if that took place in many different plants and, and around the world that caused a worldwide famine. Well, this Bible talks about that, about earthquakes and other natural disasters. Um, and you know, sometimes we see, well, you know, don't we have all those things today? Right? We kind of see them. They make big headlines when they take place. I mean, there's a big hurricane out there. We can think, well, man, there's all of these things taking place. But yet, you know, what Scripture is describing is on a different scale. Throughout all the earth, disasters coming, calamities on a different scale of intensity. And so Elijah is going to be associated with that. But what I want us to see from Elijah's life is the impact he had through prayer. The impact he had through prayer on how God moved in the nations. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. In other words, God was using him to hold back the natural elements through his prayer. That's quite something. I want you as, as a human being to pray, and I'm going to hold back these natural elements. It's not going to rain. And so it shows us the idea because right? Elijah is, is a type of the church, of how God is going to move in the church in the last days. He's calling us to be the Elijahs, to bring restoration. We're going to look at that in a bit. But, but it's also the idea that in the last days, God is going to use his saints to pray, to intervene in, in the spirit, but also in some of these natural calamities that are coming upon the earth. Perhaps God is asking his saints you know, in the last days to, to hold back some of these calamities that are taking place so that his people can be preserved and it be, will be through prayer. Of course, we have to first hear from God, right? We have to be those who can hear what the Spirit is saying and then his Spirit can move through us to do that work of preservation. And there's also the thought of continuing, right? We see Elijah, he you know, he has to pray for a long time, right? Both for the rain not to come, but then also for the rain to come. 
But, you know, I was actually reading over some notes of Pastor Bailey um, on Elijah, and I found it interesting. And this was what he, his commentary on Elijah, um, is that he not only had to pray that it would not rain, but he had to intercede during that three and a half years that it would, that it would continually not rain. It wasn't that he just prayed, Lord, don't let it rain upon the earth, and then went his way, and okay, that's done. It's, it's almost the thought that, that Pastor Bailey was bringing out that he had to continually intercede. That rain would be held back. And, you know, sometimes you wonder, why did the Lord preserve him so long by that brook? And it was probably for years. And then with the widow, why, why did the Lord, you know, he was like almost like in obscurity, just kind of being there by the brook and then being with the widow. And that was among the Gentiles. But I think it was a long season of prayer. Lord, hold back the rain. Lord, let judgment come. Prepare the way for your people to see that you are God, that they can see, oh, God's withholding the rain. And then it's God who releases it in the time to come. And so, you know, it was a long season of prayer of, Lord, bring your will to pass. Turn the hearts of your people back to yourself. Right? Three and a half years of intercession by Elijah that brings to pass the events we see on Mount Carmel. And so we left off last week with the, the prophets of Baal. They were crying out and cutting themselves and jumping up and down, trying to get a hold of their God to send fire on the altar. And they came to the end of their strength and nothing had happened to no avail. The, you know, but God allowed them to do that to show the people there's no power in, in the gods that they're calling on. But then Elijah said to his people, come near. Let's, let's draw near back to God because God wanted to restore them and build them up. And now, something else he said, or he did actually, he, he called them near and then he built, rebuilt the altar stone by stone. Let's rebuild the altar to the Lord here on this, on this mountain. And, you know, that can speak that the Lord can sometimes do a work of restoration, bringing them back, but then there's got to be a rebuilding, a rebuilding of consecration, a rebuilding of obedience, a rebuilding of, of walking with God. And, you know, it happens stone by stone. You know, God wants to do a lot of rebuilding of restoration in his people, in his church. And I was thinking back to the restoration era, right? When they came from Babylon back to Jerusalem and, you know, the, in the book of Ezra, it talks about how they'd been in captivity and that then Cyrus made that decree to go back and it was, they were to rebuild the holy city that had been destroyed. But you know, the first thing that they do in Ezra chapter three was to rebuild the altar of the Lord, to rebuild that altar of worship. And that's what God wants to do in his church. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of activity Right? Some of it's done in his name, but it's not necessarily pleasing to him. And so what does God want to do? He wants to rebuild the, that altar of true worship and sacrifice unto himself. And when did it take place? It's interesting. Uh, in Ezra, it took place in the seventh month, which is uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Speaks of the last days 
of the way God is going to move in his church in the last days. He's going to rebuild his altar to turn people's hearts back to worship him, to meet with him, because he wants to raise up a glorious bride. And so there was a lot of work to do in the natural, right? They had to rebuild the altar. Then they had to rebuild the foundation of the temple. Then they had to rebuild the temple. Then they had to rebuild the walls, all to reestablish themselves as God's holy city. There was a lot of work to do in the natural, but you know, I think the real work, the most important work took place in the spiritual. And because when you think about during those 70 years, there were a lot of righteous Jews crying out, Lord, restore. You can read that in some of the Psalms, like, Lord, they've cast fire into your temple and, you know, we've been brought down, but oh God, meet with your people once again. And of course it culminated with Daniel, right? In Daniel chapter 9, Lord, we have sinned. Well, Daniel hadn't sinned, but he was still saying, Lord, your people need restoration. God, restore. We have sinned, yet cause your face to shine upon us once again, to shine upon your sanctuary. And through those prayers, God brought a release and a rebuilding. And, you know, we see this in as a pattern in Elijah's life. We see it in the restoration of Israel. But, you know, God wants to do that in his church. He wants to, to do that in our midst. He wants to use us to do that. And I want to just look at that, that pattern here of how God can use us to restore. Because I really feel that God wants to use us as a church to bring restoration. And so back to our story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And so he had the people surrounding him. He rebuilt the altar, and he had water poured upon it three times just to totally saturate it. Well, what he was doing was showing that well, in the natural, right back then they didn't have matches or gasoline. Right? The, all they had was tinder, and, a, and they would strike it with some flint and start a fire. It, but it was humanly impossible to start that fire because he had saturated it with water. And so he, he was showing yet, a, yet another example. With man, it's impossible. But with God, God can do it. And it, we can read in, in 1 Kings 18, verse 37, where Elijah's crying out and he says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. You have turned their, ba- their heart back again. Then the fire fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They really knew it. They said it twice. (laughs) Lord, you're God. Lord, we really believe. We really, really believe you are God. You see, they, they saw and experienced that divine fire and they knew who was the true and living God. You know, that's something we want to pray for in our lives is that, that divine fire that's lit from heaven. You know, there's a lot of things we can do. We can encourage ourselves and, you know, we can get disciplined and do what's right. But, you know, it's not really enough. We need the fire of God. That divine fire from heaven is what brings life to us. 
brings light. It's God working in us. And so that divine fire, when it's lit and it's tended to, it will be a zeal in our hearts that will cause us to continue, cause us to go on when many people don't because the fire has gone out. You know, in the tabernacle, when the, when the first offering was made to the Lord, it wasn't man who you know, struck the spark that lit the fire. It was a fire that came from heaven. Actually, it says that the fire came out from God's presence. So, I mean, I think that was from heaven. I don't know if it came from the ark, right, where the presence of God, you know, laterally to the fire, or if it came down from heaven. But the fire came out from God's presence and lit that. And and they, it was, God's commandment to them was, that fire is to never go out. It's to always be lit there. And so you can imagine the job of the priest who Oh man, Lord, don't let the fire go out on my watch because this fire was from heaven. If I light it again, it's a little different. It's, you know. And so they always had to tend to that. But then again, in Solomon's temple, right? Well, really, it's David's temple because he had the pattern and the prepared it all, and then Solomon dedicated it. But when he was dedicating it, again, fire from heaven came upon that altar, and they guarded that fire. And so it's that fire of God from heaven that we need in our hearts. And we need to cry out for the Lord. You know, of course, first for our own lives, Lord, let that fire burn within me that this temple would have your life, your power, your zeal. But for others, you know, we want the fire to come into their lives because, you know, we know good people who can do all sorts of good things in their effort and, and say, well, I'm a pretty good person, right? I, I'm doing good. I'm even, I'm even doing holy things. I'm going to church once in a while and that, so forth. But, you know, it all comes to nothing without the divine fire. We must have the fire of God in our lives. That love for God, that zeal for his ways. Because when it gets difficult, the ritual of doing good... Right? The ritual of, well, I'm, you know, I can do good things from this. But you know, when, you, when you're going through difficulty, the ritual holds no value for you anymore. It's not important to you of just doing good. It's only the fire that will cause us to continue when others give up. And so we need to pray, Lord, let your fire come afresh in me. Of course, sometimes we're, we're not good with tending, you know, our fires, and sometimes it can go out or burn low, and we have to say, Lord, oh, re- renew your fire. Lord, renew your love. I mean, that was what God was trying to address to the Ephesian church in, in the book of Revelation. Their fire had gone out, and he said, renew your first love. You've done lots of good things, but it had turned into ritual instead of the fire. And so we need that fire. And we need to cry out to God, Lord, let your fire come in our lives. And you know what? We can be like that little torch where you ever seen like just people pass a a, a fire down the line, just kind of lighting each other's candles. You know, we can be that fire. When they see our zeal, it's like, man, you, you have a love for the Lord that I don't have. How do you get that? Well, God sent his fire down from heaven because I cried out for it. 
And you can have it too if you cry out for it. And that can be lit and sustained in our hearts. And so then we come to the culmination of the restoration in this story. Rain upon the land. And in 1 Kings 18.41, it says, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the abundance of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. He went up to have a nice meal or a party or so forth or whatever he viewed there. But Elijah didn't do that. He went up to the top of the mountain and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and started to pray. Even though... He just declared the word of the Lord here now. Don't you hear it? The sound of the abundance of rain after they hadn't had anything for three and a half years. And I love the thought of the rain of the Spirit pouring down. Right? That declaration of faith. Hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And that's what we're looking for. Right? It's another analogy for the life of the Spirit, right? Fire brings light and warmth. Rain brings life and health. Right? We want the rain of the Spirit. We long for that in our land and in our church because it brings life. And, you know, in one sense, we are in a spiritual drought. Right? That thought of the, the rain of the Spirit bringing life and health. You know, there's a lot of activity, people doing lots of things even in the church, but there's not much life, right? Sometimes it's easy to substitute activity for life. And that, that was the mistake of the Ephesian church where the Holy Spirit wrote that letter to them. You've substituted activity and good works, but you've lost my first love. You know, when, you, when, you, when there's life, you can kind of think of, you know, green grass, here in Florida, we get, we get the rain in the summers and the grass is nice and green. Um, but you know, you don't think much of it, right? You think, oh, there's grass. But you know, when you're walking through a desert, it's different. And when you see something green in a desert, you go, oh, look, something green. It's not just brown. That's so rare. But then when it rains in the desert... I haven't li- I I think I lived out there before I really had a notion. I was born in California, so it was kind of desert climate out there, but um you know, when it rains in the desert, it can just all of a sudden blossom and bloom. In fact, I was watching a documentary on on the the driest place in America, Death Valley. It has a season where it does rain. And in that season, all of a sudden there'll just be these crops of wildflowers in the desert and it's beautiful but you wouldn't think that it's the hottest place in america but when it rains it brings life and that's what we're believing for lord bring your rain we need your rain send your rain upon the earth upon the church bring life of course we know that ahab went up to the feast but elijah went and fell on his face and he put his head between his knees. It was a position of intercession, of crying out, of bringing something new to birth. And he cried out to the Lord, O oh God, bring your word to pass. And after all of those years of crying out for no rain, now he's saying, Lord, it's the time. 
It's the time to release the rain. But we know from the story, one, one instance of mighty prayer, even though it was intense and he was crying out to the Lord, that one prayer did not, was not sufficient, was it? 1 Kings 18.43 And he said to his servant, Go up now. I've prayed. I want you to go up and look toward the sea. And he went and looked. And his servant said, There's nothing. Nada. I don't see anything. Master, I thought you prayed. Weren't you hearing from God? And then he said, He prayed again. He said to his servant, Go again. Nothing. And that happened seven times. That would be hard, you know, <laughs> hard, a hard answer for me to hear anyway. You know. Has it happened yet? Nothing. Oh, but we're praying, we're believing, we're fasting, we're crying out. Nothing. After about the third or fourth time, I might, I might start questioning, Lord, am I hearing from you? Did I hear right? But Elijah didn't stop. He kept praying. He kept crying out because something was about to be birthed. Through his prayer. That that word of faith had to be birthed through his prayer. And, you know, Elijah is really showing us in his story as we're reading, as God's using him through this three and a half year period, different ways that God moves upon him in prayer. Previously, it had been a long season, right? He had to pray for a long time, seeking God continually. And it was almost as if God placed that burden upon him that for that rain to be withheld from heaven, he had to seek God. He had to pray. He had to intercede for God. He had to wait upon God by the brook and wait upon him in the Gentile town with the widow. It was a long season. And sometimes we get a word or a promise or a direction we think within ourselves, oh, praise God, I believe it. I receive it by faith. He's going to do it. And we can get dismayed at, at, well, Lord, you spoke the word. Why isn't it coming to pass? And we can sense that delay. Or from, from our perspective, it's a delay. When in reality, what, it, what God's doing is he's preparing the way for a miracle by bringing a season of prayer. A season where he's saying, okay, I want you to do something. And it, it, sometimes it can be a long season. I mean, I can't imagine Lord, the Lord giving me something to pray about and saying, okay, you're going to have three and a half years to pray about it. Okay, Lord. That's a lot of days. That's a lot of mornings of getting up and evenings of sitting before you and crying out. But he did it. And it produced something. It produced a hunger in the people. It, it opened their eyes. You know, it's like progressively over that three and a half year period, they, must, they might have been talking, you know, the king wants us to serve Baal, but they've been offering up sacrifices and all sorts of things and they can't bring the rain. What's going on? And then Elijah comes on Mount Carmel and he says, well, you have two choices. You can follow Baal. Let's see if they can do anything. Try it now. And they cried out all, the, all morning, and you know, we know we have been over the story. And the people saw there's no power there. But, you know, Elijah had to pray to bring, that, to, to bring them to that place of, of 
understanding and decision to see there's no power here. And he had to pray for a long time. He had to continue walking with God for a long time. And so God will bring us through, at times, season of, seasons of prayer where we've got to pray for a while. And the, the length of that is up to him. But it's to produce something. It's to lay the groundwork for God to move in restoration. But then there's another type of prayer that we're seeing. I mean, there's many very different types of prayer we can see in Scripture. But in, in Elijah, right, it, it's as if God brought him to a place where now there's a pressing in. Now there's a burden. You can't stop until it comes to pass. And literally, he just kept praying and praying. Now, we can't try that. We can't say, well, I'm just going to pray and press in until God does it when he's calling us to a season of long prayer. You understand what I mean? Some, you know, I remember one time when I was young and I wanted God to do something and I, I was at the kitchen table once and I said to Sarah, I'm just going to fast until God does this. I was young. I got till about one and a half days and I thought, well, okay, give that up. You know, we have to flow with the season God is leading us in. And so we can't try and, you know, produce it by pressing in as hard as we can if God's calling us to a season of prayer. But, you know, we also can't try and respond to God when he's calling us to press in with a long season of prayer, can we? But when he's putting that burden upon us, we have to respond to him. And so Elijah prayed again and again, each time sending his servant up. Do you see anything in the sky? And he saw nothing. And he didn't give up, and he pressed in until, at that moment, the servant said, Well, I see something. I'm looking over from Mount Carmel is, is near the coast, and he's looking out over the water, and he sees a cloud. It says it's as big as my hand, but you know, if you, you know, kind of hold up your perspective, you see a cloud there, and holding my hand up, and that's about how big it is before me. And as soon as Elijah hears that, it's done. We got the answer. Let's get going because it's about to rain, and it's about to come down. It's a storm is coming off the, off the waters, and it's about to pour down upon Israel after three and a half years of nothing. And so it was accomplished. But, you know, sometimes there's a cost or an effort in seeking God in those instances and in, in, to meet with him. And, you know, in Scripture, there's, you see many instances of people having to, to pay a price, you could say, in meeting with God. One of those uh, was in how people would rend their garments. Now, this was often in calamity, but they would do this in order to meet with God. So they would rend their garments. What they would do is they'd take a knife and they would cut, you know, they'd have a, a hole for their head to go through. They would cut that and then rip it open as a symbol of, Lord, I want to meet with you. Now, an example was in uh, 2 Kings 19 with Hezekiah. And you remember when, when Jerusalem was surrounded by uh, the Assyrian army and they said all sorts of nasty things to him, like, yeah, you're, we've destroyed all the other nations and their gods and your God's not going to protect you. He's going to be like everything else, everyone else and, you know, all these, all these things. And so what Hezekiah does, he rends his garment and he goes into the house of the Lord and he cries out, Lord, 
we need you. Lord, we, we, we need a word from you. And then after he really intercedes and cries out for his people, Isaiah, the Lord speaks a word to Isaiah, right, of deliverance. But he had to cry out. And, you know, that was a costly thing. Sometimes we've lost that. Uh, you know, when we think about a garment, we can go into TJ Maxx or something and get a T-shirt for $5 or $2 or something. You know, renting that is like pennies. But back in the day, a garment was one of your most expensive items, right? You had to, you couldn't just go buy them. You had to make it again. And that, that would be something to, so renting your garment was an expensive price. But, you know, it's representative today for us of meeting with God. Sometimes there's a price to cry out and intercede to accomplish his purpose in our lives or his purpose in what he's calling us to do. And there's times that God will call us to pay that cost in prayer, whether through long seasons or through an intense intercession. I remember a story a pastor shared of how he was praying for a relative for a very long time. And I don't know if it went on for years or, but he was praying, Lord, bring this relative to Christ, cause them to know you. But he said, one night a burden came upon me, upon him that was so intense. He was crying. He was shouting. He was declaring. He felt like he was battling in the spirit. And it was so intense like he had never had before. And he gave himself to that prayer. And I, I don't remember how long it lasted, um, but it was, he, he said it was intense. But he said after that prayer, he felt a release. And that person gave their heart to the Lord. They came into the kingdom. And so there's times we want to be a, a open to the Lord. Lord, would you move upon me? Lord, this needs to be accomplished in my life. Or Lord, this needs to be accomplished in your church or in this situation. Lord, would you move through me? Teach me to pray. Now we close out the story here of Elijah. We know he prayed seven times. And I kind of already said this, but let's, let's read the words here in, in 1 Kings 18, 44. Came to pass the seventh time, he said, there's a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and get down that the rain doesn't prevent you. And it shall come to, and it came to pass in the meantime that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. That work of faith had been accomplished as Elijah cried out to God. And, you know, I just sense with this story is that we look at this as a type of what God wants to do in our lives, what he wants to do in the church, what he wants to do in the world in the last days. And I sense that God is calling us here at the Clearwater Church of Mount Zion, that God wants to be involved. He wants to move in us and through us in restoration, of rebuilding, of bringing the fire down from heaven to burn upon the altar of the hearts of his people. Well, we need to have that first in us. Lord, let your fire be burning. But I feel that in doing so, God is calling us to the work of prayer. You know, it's one thing. It's so wonderful to, to be able to, to speak words and people respond to it. And, you know, they come into the kingdom and so forth. But, you know, the real work is done in prayer. And God wants to 
You know, I was just feeling God wants to move in a new season of restoration, of bringing rain upon the earth, but it's going to come through prayer. And I always come back to when I think of like revival and God moving in the last days is that vision Pastor Bailey had of the last day revival. He saw these little pinpoint of lights and they just started to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And they all kind of kept growing and growing until they combined and it covered the whole nation of the United States. But he said those little pinpoints of light, they started in prayer meetings as people gathered to pray, as they cried out to God, his light came, his fire came, and it burned, and it, it covered the whole nation, and, and I assume the whole earth, if, it, if his you know, understanding was it was the last day revival. But, you know, I, I just feel that God wants us to be sensitive to him, to come to, into new seasons of prayer, of being involved in the work of his kingdom, of building up the altar of prayer in our lives. Sometimes it, you know, it can be a little altar and the Lord's like, let me add to it. Let me, let me teach you new things. As the disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord taught them through many different things, many different aspects of prayer that he wants to build upon in our lives. And in doing so, it can cause the rain to fall upon his people, the fire to fall upon the altar of many hearts. And Lord, that's our desire. Lord, we desire the rain of your spirit and the fire of your spirit to come upon us afresh. Lord, would you quicken us in, in your life and in your zeal? And Lord, if, if it involves consuming some things in us that would pre- prevent your fire or put it out, Lord, would you just come and work, come and circumcise. Lord, come in and do whatever you need to in our hearts. Oh, Lord, and that you would move within us. Lord, would you cause us to be a people of prayer? Lord, even we come to you as the disciples did, and we say, Lord, teach us to pray, that you could move through us, that you could bring fresh life, fresh hope, fresh victory. Oh, God, through as we pray and cry out to you, and that you can move in people's lives. Oh, we just thank you, Lord. We just give you our hearts and our lives now. Use us that you would fulfill your will on earth in this place. In our lives, as it's done in heaven, we ask and we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.